Hi, and welcome back to Connected the Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Thomason, and together we'll discover what it means to live a more connected life across body, mind, and soul. Today, I'm here with Whitney Mestel, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at iMentor in New York. She's also co-founder of Inclusive Idaho, and we used to be housemates back in college. Whitney talks with us about what it means, as well as tactical ways to create real change in our communities. So let's get started. Hi. How's it going? So good. Hey, tell me tell me who you are and what you do. I'm Whitney. Um, what do I do? For work, I'm the director of equity at iMentor, which is a national nonprofit that partners first-generation hopeful uh, college students with a mentor their last two years of high school and their first two years of college. Um, but in my free time, I do a lot of running and reading and um, just hanging out with people I love doing cool things, whether that's traveling or laying in the grass. Are you into the picnic movement for at like in the middle? What is it? Central Park? If you're yes. Like so I haven't done it yet, but one of my favorites still to this day, we got two amazing picnic sets. So we got one that was like customized backpack and it has like wine glasses and like the, the cutting boards and all of the stuff that you need. And it fits all into a backpack. Okay. But then we also got this like hand woven picnic basket What? Um, that's like we're like um, cooler lined um, and has a really cute handle and it like zips. Anyway, there are two of my, my favorite wedding presents, two of the few that we still own actually. And um, we've used those a lot, but we haven't, we haven't, my husband and I um, haven't been able to do like a New York picnic yet, but we've, we've definitely done um, uh, time in the parks though, so just okay. not with food. Okay, cool. So, but it's to come. Yes, for sure. Okay, good. So tell me more about your job and what you're doing now. And one of the ways you know me, right, is Mm -hmm. because we used to live together. And then you've seen some of my nonprofit work on um, Instagram and probably my social media feeds. Mm -hmm. But before my current role, I was the founder, co-founder and the executive director of a nonprofit called Inclusive Idaho. Mm -hmm. And um, this is an organization founded in 2020 in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, focused on building inclusion for minoritized groups in Idaho. Mm -hmm. Um, When I think about how we started, why we started, it was so swift um, and in many ways so emotionally charged. but still, um, even to this day, just holding such a, such um, a huge belief that the that the work was necessary and continues to be necessary. Absolutely. But um, so myself and my friend Jesse, who is incredible in every way, um, in my living room, decided we wanted to do something at the Idaho State Capitol in the form of a, of a vigil. Um, something that was commemorative and would allow folks to come and sort of mourn um, mm-hmm. Black lives that were lost. Um, mm-hmm. And so we started doing this. We started creating this little flyer. And um, that day we started sending it out. And probably within three hours, we were getting tons of RSVPs, tons of phone calls. Mm-hmm. 
and it just blew up. And so, and this, and this, and this vigil was slated for, this was Sunday, this vigil was slated for Tuesday night. So, um, by Monday morning, I was on the phone call with the police department and the mayor and, you know, local senators and all kinds of people who had some level of interest. And then also, also other local community organizers. And so because our event just sort of blew up and went um, like wildfire, um, all of these other community organizers who were either planning something of their own or have been doing things in Idaho or in the Boise community for a long time sort of joined us and we were able to pull, pull resources and make it happen. And so um, in two days, we prepared a vigil um, for folks that continues to be the largest event ever attended um, at the Idaho State Capitol. Mm-hmm. And um, we had somewhere between 5,000 and 8,000 folks. And it was amazing. I've been told that we had like a 96% mask wear rate. If you remember, June 2020 was um, a steep pandemic time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just an incredible moment and we didn't move from the, from the place and we ordered hundreds, thousands of candles Wow! and the reflection on it for so many people was one for black and brown people. It was a moment for, I think us to recognize that we weren't alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Idaho is a state that the population is somewhere between 89 and 93%, I believe, um, white, Okay. And so when you're living in in Idaho, knowing for sure, seeing that like peer visible reference yeah. that there are folks who don't look like you, that the majority, right? There are folks in the majority who really, really, really believe um, in the work that you're doing and your life mattering um, in solving this um, in all of the ways. It was really, really critical for a lot of people. And that's the thing that I heard the most from, especially from Black young people, college students, mm-hmm. young Black professionals, what it meant to them to see so many people who represent the majority in Idaho um, sort of stand beside them and stand wow. with them. Yeah. Um, and it gave them a sense, a new sense of belonging and ability to be in Boise, to be in Idaho, to exist and raise their families and and live and do their own work, right? Um, or start right. their own things. Right. Um that would combat injustices, any injustice that they that they might care about or hold dear. And so, yeah, it was, it was just just incredible. I make a joke now all yeah. the time that people were so shocked by it that I see tweeted about it. Jimmy Kimmel joked about it. And I did news interviews for weeks because the, even the nation, even though the world was marching for Black Lives at that time, right. there was, it was so shocking to people that Idaho could kids sort of cajole that many people um, in one space. And I also think it was a good reminder that Idaho has a reputation. (laughs) They definitely have a reputation. Um, There's a huge reputation of white supremacist action in in Northern Idaho and at other places. And um, it was a good reminder for everyone, Idahoans and the the globe that there are people who live and uh, believe outside of that reputation that, that the state sort of carries with it for good or bad. So, Well, I'm wondering, like, in the moment, what were you feeling? Yeah, for sure. I ended up giving the keynote at that vigil, um, wow. which was unplanned. And so <laughs> I wrote it in probably 25 minutes, 20 minutes. Wow. Wow. Um, and so and I ended up becoming very much a face 
Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of the event. Right. Um, which is why I did so many news interviews in the following weeks. Cool. And which was totally unexpected. That was not. I mean, yeah. when we sent out the flyer, it was like right. we thought maybe 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 we get a hundred of our friends sure. to come mourn with us and uh-huh. it would be yeah. done and we would sort of all move on with our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and post vigil, um, my sister and I sat down and just at our kitchen table, you know, and just said we've got to do something more um something more systemic um something more long-lasting because the the great thing about you know marches and vigils and demonstrations and protests are such a huge part of the change of the change movement mm-hmm. they are how so many things historically have happened how you know they've, they've been the beginning of legislation and massive social movements right for for better for inclusion for anti-racism whatever it is fill in the blank right um but in some ways they are still very much a moment in time and so um you need to keep doing them right to to continue to create that change or spur the change um and so we thought you know what if we create some type of organization that can continue this this movement and other things um because one of the things we're asked all the time about inclusive idaho is why didn't you make it an organization that was solely focused on the advancement of black idahoans or for black idahoans um and we just really strongly believed that we wanted to see we wanted to create an organization that was focused not only on um, our realities as as black women in idaho but on the realities of other folks who have parallel experiences Mm -hmm. um which is why we named it inclusive idaho so three days after three days after the vigil was done, we submitted our paperwork, our federal and our state paperwork to create a 501c3 called Inclusive Idaho. <laughs> and for two years prior to my current role, I served as the executive director of that organization. So, That's amazing. Yeah. And it all and it all came from that one night. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> My husband all the time loves to tell people that it started at our kitchen table. And it really did. My sister and I were, you know, we um, sort of whiteboarded names for like three hours and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, that, that's incredible. All of it is incredible. I remember seeing all of that happening. Yeah. In the middle, in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement and being like, yeah, yeah, Whitney's doing it. She's doing the thing. And that's yeah, I was just I was Thanks. I was listen, I was mesmerized. I really was. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. Um, so I think something that I want to know, something I really want to know from you is, you know, it just like started in this small way, but like for people who want to see change in their community, they want to see a more inclusive environment. Um, what, what should we do? What, what would be your advice for us? I really love this question. I think, um, I talk about this in my job a lot and I talk about this to people about my job because mm-hmm. they say, oh, like you, you're really frank. One of the things I like about you is that you speak your mind. And I think mm-hmm. when you work in diversity, equity, and inclusion, when you work in change movements, when you work in um, areas where you are constantly having conversations about really hard things, you have to be direct and blunt. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you sort of don't see to fruition um, yeah. what yeah. you hope for. Yeah. Um, and when I think about sort of the individual person mm-hmm. um, and the small nonprofits or small organizations or grassroots movements, yep. grassroots movements in communities. One of the biggest challenges I see is that folks don't want to name the thing, you know, um, 
I always say like one of the things I love about my my work is that we one of the things we name in org culture, we use the word white supremacy culture. Like we are working to dismantle white supremacy culture in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And so many organizations won't do that because they're so afraid, right? That it'll be somehow offensive to someone um, or worried about how it'll come off to employees. But I, but it's so critical to name the thing. Like right. if you see something happening in your community mm-hmm. um, that you want to change, whether mm-hmm. it's um, decreasing the amount of people not living in a house mm-hmm. or um, increasing child advocacy or building inclusion in schools or whatever it is, you have to, you have to really name and you have to really name why. And a lot of people don't want to use the word anti-racism either, but it's, it's so critical. And we're in, we're also in this, in this sort of, uh, we've always been in a, in a hyper we've always been a hyper political country so i wouldn't say that it's like new necessarily but we're in a we're in a challenging place um because everything is recorded and seen and folks are so nervous about that advocacy one of the one of the biggest challenges we had with um inclusive idaho was we had a, a subset program called inclusive schools and we were doing really great work and when the legislation started to come down um against classrooms and teachers um our teachers our educators counselors got really nervous um we had the funding and the backing to um do a full commercial interview series with idaho educators and it ended up being scrapped because the funder pulled out um because there's so much and and you know teachers started to pull out too and then we were having conversations about blurring their faces um because we didn't want their jobs to be in jeopardy and when you're When that thing, when that kind of thing occurs, for me, I am, I am saying, no, we have to dig in and we have to name the thing. Yeah. So like, to me, it it was in that moment, we didn't end up doing the project, but to me in that moment, it was even more critical that we do that project. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we're talking about blurring the faces of educators in an informational video, Mm -hmm. we're in Mm -hmm. um, really challenging times where we need to continue advocating and not step back. Um. So that would, be, that would probably be my first piece of advice, that it is really so critical to name out loud the thing, even if it's hard, right? Even if it's controversial, right. um, say what it is that you're trying to change, say what it is that you're pushing back against and why you're doing it and why it's important. Um, but I also think that if, if Inclusive Idaho has taught me that you don't have to have every experience. You don't have to have any experience. You know, I worked in some nonprofits, but I was never an ED. I never started, I never filled out, you know, um, I think so many people were like amazed, like how, how we got off the ground so fast and all of this stuff. And, um, you know, who did we use and what lawyers I filled out the application, the federal application, you know, the long form for our 501c3. And I didn't have to make any edits because I just went through and I followed the instructions and I went online and then I just made sure that we had everything right. And that's not a brag, but it's to say that we are, so much more capable mm-hmm. um, as individuals and even small groups of people than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And when you sit down and sort of start to open yourself up to the idea of doing something or creating change, um, when you start it, like when you start it step by step by step, yeah. it really becomes more, it feels more doable and more possible every little thing that you check off. And that's how Includes by Doho was for us because it, it literally went from being an idea to a reality in a matter of weeks. Wow. And it was just in the beginning, it was just checking off things like 
filling out the application, setting up a place to take funds, you know, starting to get the process of building a board of directors and then who's going to have what role and what are we going to focus on? And um, I think, especially in small small communities, we're so overwhelmed by the work that it takes. Mm -hmm. Um, So we don't do it or we're so overwhelmed by the possible pushback. And so we don't do it. Um, so the other thing I would say that if you're passionate about something yep. and you really want to see it happen, yeah. find a few people, even if it's three or four people who mm-hmm. are interested and want to do it with you. Um, and that makes it so much more possible and so much more doable. And it creates a sense of community that you can just build um, from each other's each other's network. Tell me what inclusive, inclusivity means to you. I mean, so many things, but I, uh, probably it just to me, it means everyone. So when I think about the the work that I do now, mm-hmm. the work that I did with Inclusive Idaho, I want to see, I hope to see in my lifetime um, what MLK described as the beloved community, mm-hmm. um, a reality that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I just so strongly believe that human beings have so much value yeah. and that we spend as as individuals and entities, whether that be schools or churches or legislative bodies, mm-hmm. so much time dictating um, so many things, whether it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, many years ago, what you wore, who could vote to now, who can marry who and right. um and healthcare rights, but I think we so often just miss the first piece that every single one of these people that we are disagreeing with or disapproving of mm-hmm. um, or fighting against mm-hmm. is also another human being. Yeah. Um, and for me, like that's where inclusion starts. That's my first question: Is this person a human being? And at at one hundred percent of the time, the answer to that is yes. <laughs> They are a human being. And so their inclusion, their belonging matters to me. Their ability to thrive in their community and raise their children in safety um, and participate in their romantic relationships or to participate in the political process mm-hmm. um, or enjoy their life in the way that they hope for mm-hmm. is important to me. And I'm fine to admit that I am especially concerned about the inclusion of black and brown folks. Um, because they have been historically excluded for so long um, that that is a critical piece when I think when I think about inclusion. And so when I think about my life or the, or the life of my friends who look like me, mm-hmm. um, I'm increasingly interested that they have the opportunity to um, live and be in situations that feel like beloved community, whether that's at work or in the doctor's office yeah. or um, at home or at their, their, their kid's school. So that's, that's probably, (laughs) that's probably my answer. Okay. So just a place to exist in a community um, where you're surrounded by people who care for you. Is that kind of, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So, and that goes right along with like what your dream and vision is for the future, right? Was there anything you wanted to add? Yeah. I mean, I think my dream and vision for the future is that it is beloved community. It's, it's, um, and I think it's easy to hear that and think like, oh, that just sounds like we all sit in a circle and we're happy <laughs> and holding hands. But it's so much more than that. It's dismantling sort of this hierarchical institutions of worth that we've placed on certain populations of people, mm-hmm. right? Whether it be about your race or whether whether you went to college or didn't go to college or yeah. what your generational wealth is and your socioeconomic status. Yeah. Um, 
that's one of the things that I think is most challenging for me when I think about human beings is that we have sort of, you know, put ourselves into all these categories yeah. um, that sort of either add or take away from our, our, our worth in the eyes of other people and even, even in the eyes of ourselves. Yeah, And so my hope for the future is that we see less of that, um, that we are so blindly focused on the human experience and how each of us are um, showing up and existing and living um, in a good way in the world, mm-hmm. world that we are far less concerned with how much money we make, um, what the size of our house is, or whether we went to college or what our skin color is. But I do believe we are far, <laughs> far away from that if we ever get to it. So there's a lot of work to do. Yes. Yeah. And we can all do it. Okay. We have about four minutes left. So I want to know this, you know, this podcast is called connected the podcast and really what it is, is like, I want to know how you keep all of the different parts of yourself um, connected in in a way that's meaningful for you. What does it look like for you to live a connected life with your mind, body, and soul? So if you give me something for each of those and then how you keep it all together. Okay. Yeah. So, um, my body for sure, that was easy. I work out a lot. Yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> I ran in college. Um, I coach track and field. Um, I run a lot. I lift a lot. I sprinkle in some yoga and some mobility and, and then I bike and just try random things. I love movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely the way that I take care of my body and I, I do try to eat well as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a pretty good diet, but I love sugar, which is sugar is my downfall. It will be probably for the rest of my life. Yeah, me too, um, actually. Um, my mind, actually, actually, you know, I I went to counseling quite a bit when I was younger. I was in foster care um, at a couple of stints and a couple of adoptions. And so I had some required counseling, but I never felt like it went, it was great. Mm. Um, but last year I started going to um, regular counseling again, and it was, it was really great. I found a counselor. I was really, um, really concerned about my counselor being black and being a woman. And I found someone yeah. who um, I also connected with that matched those parameters. And that was life-changing for me, a life-changing um, therapy experience and just, really opened myself up to being able to ask myself more questions, um, to navigate my life in a better way, all of those things. Um, so, and then soul, that one's harder for me. Mm-hmm. I grew up, um, very in a very, I'm a pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the woman who raised me was a pastor and a very evangelical Christian mm-hmm. household. And, mm-hmm. um, I've spent thousands of hours in church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I've been deconstructing for a couple of years, two, three, four, who knows, Yeah. really, uh, but strongly deconstructing for two years. And it's been a challenge because I am, I so strongly believe in um, the teaching of teachings of Jesus, um, that the cultural, so the cultural um, angst around the church and the things that I believe have been sort of like the uh, nutrition from my soul have been really challenging. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a tougher place for me, but I, I do feel like I'm doing really well. Um, I meditate. I um, spend a lot of time outside and I've always felt closest to creation, closest to God um, when I'm outdoors and in the mountains, when I'm moving my body. And so I would say that that's um, probably what it looks like and how um, I take care of my soul. And, and all of those things are connected for me because they allow me to do the good work, um, mm-hmm. to be in a place where I see 
humans as I hope, as I want to see them and as I hope we, the rest of us, um, see and love and care for them. Wow. And if you can sum it up in one word, what would it be? Probably care. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so if you're like me, you still want to know more about this topic, about Whitney, about all of it. So, surprise, we already recorded a part two, and it's coming soon. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to leave a review of your thoughts and share this episode with your friends. See you next time.